Anybody ready to worship in this house this morning? Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Praise the Lord. We got a brand new slate today, guys. Hallelujah. Lord is good. He's faithful. We're going to start off with just a little bit of worship this morning, get us focused in the right direction. And then right about nine o'clock or so, Arthur Menchez is coming to minister. And for those of you who haven't heard him, uh, you're going to be incredibly blessed. He's from South Africa, and anything he says just has a beautiful sound because he's from South Africa. But when you get the Word of God on it, it's way good. Amen. Hey, why don't you stand up and greet somebody standing around you this morning. Just tell them in Jesus' name, it's going to be a great day. Hallelujah. It's going to be a good day. Let's sing this together. You deserve the glory and the honor. We lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory and the honor. We lift our hands in worship. As we lift your holy name, come on, let's declare it. For you are great, you do miracles so great, there is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. For you are great, you do miracles so great, there is no one else like you. You deserve the glory. Let's tell it. You deserve the glory and the honor when we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory and the honor when we lift our hands in worship. Holy name, for you are great, Lord. For you are great. Miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. For you are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. You are great, for you are great, you do miracles so great, there is no one else like you, there is no one else like you, for you are great, you do miracles so great, there is no one else like you. No one else 
Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. declare this morning grateful this morning we give you all the glory all the honor you are worthy we bless you this morning with hearts of thanksgiving and all of God's people said a great big amen. amen praise the Lord and you may be seated as Arthur Menchez or Andrew is coming praise the Lord praise God well welcome to a great Colorado morning isn't it beautiful thank you Jesus 
And we've had a great time this morning. We are privileged to have Arthur, I think they say, I still have trouble with his name, Manches, something close to that. He's from South Africa, and uh, he is a regular instructor in our Karis Bible College now. He's in the process of immigrating. They're getting their green card. I guess you've got your green cards. And, uh, boy, he's just been a tremendous addition uh, to the school. He has a revelation of the grace of God, changed his life. And uh, so you're going to be blessed. And then uh, Stephen Bransford, who runs our TV department, will be up second. And Stephen is also going to be doing one of the third-year courses in our school. So that's uh, you're going to really be blessed. We've got a great lineup this morning. So, Arthur, are you ready? He's a blessing. So just overlook his funny accent and this little earring. And other than that, he's just awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Are you blessed this morning? Yes. I tell you what, it's just such a privilege to be part of this ministry and, and this conference uh, this week. Um, man, I tell you what, last night, again, Andrew, out of the park. Hallelujah. That is just such a great message. And, you know, this morning, uh, what I'd like to share with you... Um, I have had the privilege now to have taught at the school on a regular basis uh, for a year, the whole, the whole year, the whole school year. And one of the classes that I have developed for the first year class is, is a class that um, I would re- I, I recommend, you know, if you're, if you're going to be doing anything like that, uh, like the, um, is it the correspondence? That, uh, you know, living, living our lives in the liberty wherewith Christ has come to set us free. And, uh, you know, if we, if we uh, turn with me in your Bibles and let's just go to John chapter 8, verse uh, 31 and 32. Let freedom reign within our lives. You know, as Christians, we talk a lot about freedom. And, uh, and, but in reality, so many of us struggle with internal emotions that bind us because of what we believe. And so this morning I want to talk to you about living our lives guilt-free. Amen. <laughs> now John chapter 8 and verse 31 says, says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, uh, and I know that you know these verses, and I know that, that, you know, most of us can quote these verses, but this scripture, Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And and I know that, you know, it is true, and I'm not saying it isn't true, but, you know, we talk, and as Christians we say, you know, uh, uh, the, the truth will set you free. It's No, it's the truth that you know that is going to set you free. Now, we need to have a look at who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to the Jews who believed on Him. And these Jews, when He said to them, You shall know the truth, and the truth you know will set you free, 
he wasn't just talking about any truth. He was saying, you shall know the truth of what I have come to do for you. You shall know the truth of, of why I came and what I accomplished. And, and, and Andrew's been talking about the cross and the finished work of the cross. And basically, these people were established in a religious system that actually kept them in bondage. And they didn't even realize that they were in bondage. And because, you know, when, when Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, and they, they said to Jesus, they said, we, we're free. You know, here's the thing though, is that I find so many believers today say the exact same thing. And they don't even realize, many of the, many of, of the believers I come in contact with, wherever I go and travel all over the United States, uh, all over the world really, I find that, that people in the church actually believe they're free and don't realize how bound they are. Amen. <laughs> See, if we are ever going to live and experience freedom and the liberty wherewith Christ has come to set us free, we are once and for all going to have to resolve the issue of condemnation, shame, and guilt towards God. Now, you know, I, I know that, that many of you are going to say, oh, yeah, that's right, we, that's true. See, listen, no human being can live a successful, vibrant, emotionally stable Christian life if the issue of condemnation, shame, and guilt towards God is not dealt with, not just, not just smoothed over, but dealt with once and for all. And the reality of that is, is that, that unfortunately, uh, today condemnation, guilt, and guilt towards God, and fear, and shame, is the predominant emotion that most Christians live with every day. Now, I, you know, I don't have time to, to, to teach everything about this here this morning. But did you know that statistics show that uh, Pentecostal, charismatic, full gospel people suffer with guilt and guilt-related disorders more than any other religious group in the world? I don't know about you guys, but you know, when I think about that and when I read that, you know, we have an epidemic in our society, in the Western world especially. We have an epidemic, uh, 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 what is it, they call it the, the different disorders that we have. And it's, there's, depression is at epidemic proportions in the Western world and in the church. And it shouldn't be that way. And, the, you know, uh, the root, why is it that we are, as human beings, and especially as Christians, why is it that we are so easily caught up in this whole issue of guilt and condemnation? Well, you know, again, and, and I don't have time to go through it all, but, you know, guilt, condemnation, shame, goes back right to the very beginning. The first people on this planet experienced guilt, condemnation, shame, the moment they ate of that tree which God told them not to eat of. And, and from that day on, guilt has become rooted 
and ground into our very psyche almost. It has become a psychological and emotional makeup of man. And what we've done in the church is we've used this, this kind of guilt. How many of you understand guilt is a powerful motivation? Powerful motivation. Is there some water here? I'm very thirsty this morning. I'm not sure why. Hallelujah. You know, the dictionary defines guilt this way. It says guilt is the feeling of responsibility and remorse for some offense, a crime, or a wrong, whether real or imagined. Boy, I tell you what, you know, I think it's important that I say this here because a lot of people will, will misinterpret what I'm saying. There, there is such a thing as a healthy conscience. Amen? A healthy conscience. Because it's important that I make this distinction here because a lot of people will go away and say, well, Arthur says that I should have no kind, no kind of guilt at all. No, I, you need to have a conscience. Because if I'm saying, in saying that we can live guilt-free, that we should have no guilt whatsoever at any time, then I'm actually trying to say that we all should be psychopaths. And that's not what I'm saying. But there is a destructive guilt that, is, that the church and that Christians, believers, are riddled with. And it is the guilt uh, of uh, a guilty conscience towards God. And it's defined like this. A destructive guilt is when we have the perceived belief of having offended a holy, righteous God and standing condemned, separated, unacceptable before a holy, righteous God deserving judgment and punishment. Amen? Now, when we, when we look at this, now let me just say this, and, and, and again, I, you know, I'm trying to do something here like that, that, that I will do in eight lessons, in one lesson here this morning. Without Jesus, we all stand condemned before God. Amen? And, and to, today we are here in this conference, and, and, and hopefully, and most probably, all of us here are believers. We believe in the finished work of Jesus. So when we talk about this, there is nothing more destructive in a believer's life than the emotion and the guilt and the shame that results out of the belief that you have offended a holy God and that you stand before God as despicable. There's nothing that will destroy your relationship with God. Now the majority of Christians today unfortunately believe that guilt is a normal Christian emotion. So many times that when you listen to people preaching, and so much of what is being preached, and so much of what we believe, is about this whole idea that guilt is a motivating factor in my life, and without having guilt, how am I, how am I going to serve God? And so many believers believe that guilt is God's way of, of motivating you to, to, to do the right things. And so a lot of people find that, you say, well, Arthur, without guilt, 
how in the world am I going to serve God and follow Jesus if, there is no, if there's no guilt towards God in, in, in my relationship? And I love what Andrew said. Well, how about love? How about love being the motivating factor? Now, you know, when we, when we start to look at some of these things, that so much of what we believe, so much of what we are taught in the church... And I don't believe that the that people who teach this are evil or are bad. It's just the way things are in the church and the religious notions that we have, the the, the self-righteous notions that we have, that guilt and so much of what we believe, uh, we can't help but end up in the emotions of guilt, condemnation, fear, and shame before God. So... Let me just say this and, 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 and get right into what I want to talk about here today. And that is that anytime we have guilt toward God, that sense of having offended a holy God, standing before God as unacceptable, separated, anytime we have that, it means that we have our focus in the wrong place. Amen. We have our focus in the wrong place. And I think Andrew's done just a great job already, you know, talking about that. When, when, we, when we talk about having our focus in the wrong place, the large majority of believers today are so focused upon themselves, their self-effort. And any time you're in that place, as Andrew was saying last night, if you're in that place where you're living up to a standard trying to earn the love of a holy, righteous God, trying to earn God's presence, trying to earn your, the answers to your prayers, or trying to earn, you are going to put yourself into a place where you have to end up in that realm of emotions, of guilt, condemnation, fear, and it binds you to the things that you think that it's motivating you to be free from. And then what happens is the vicious cycle starts. And we get into the cycle of saying, well, I just need to try harder, do better. And the problem is the moment we do that, then old Slewfoot comes in, on the other side, and he accuses you immediately. Once you're accused, you stand condemned before God. So this morning, what I'd like to talk, to, talk about and, and, and flesh out here this morning is this, is that the second thing that happens is that when we have a guilty conscience before God, it actually means this. Now, you know, this might be a strong statement that I'm going to make here, but please bear with me when I do, when I say this. In fact, when we as believers live in the realms of guilt, condemnation, and shame before God, we are actually saying we don't even believe that the incarnation happened. We don't even believe that Jesus walked this earth. We don't even believe that He went to the cross and offered a sacrifice. Now, I know, you know, I think, you know, what Andrew was saying last, last night was the same thing. Is that we make the cross of Christ of no effect. 
And the reality is, is that when we find ourselves in that place where guilt, condemnation, fear and shame before God is the predominating, motivating emotion within our hearts, that means the moment that happens, it means somewhere in my life, I am busy with self-righteousness and I am making the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus of no value whatsoever. So turn with me in your Bibles and let's go there to John chapter 1 and verse 29. John chapter 1 verse 29. Now you guys are going to have to hang with me. Because I'm going to have to try and go fast and share a lot of stuff here. John chapter 1 verse 29. uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. And when he sees Jesus coming to be baptized of him, John the Baptist makes one of the most profound and astonishing statements that I, that I hear. So many of us as Christians, we quote these, this verse, but this is how I've always heard it. Let's read it. And it says this. It says, next day John saw Jesus coming to him and said, look. Now, how many of you understand that when John was baptizing in the Jordan, that there were... were Hundreds, if not maybe thousands of people that came to John to hear him preach, to be baptized of John. So there was a multitude of people there. And they were all Jews. They all understood the terms that were used in the Old Testament, the terms that, 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 that they understood according to the covenant that they understood. And this is what John says. He says, look everybody, the Lamb of God who takes away... The sin of the world. Now, brothers and sisters, you know, I know that to to some people, some of what I'm going to share with you is is really strong. And I don't mean to offend anybody or do, but I want you to listen carefully. We as believe, we say we believe the word, right? Amen. Three people over here. You guys believe? (laughs) Amen. We, We believe the word. But John... John saw something that I think that we in the church still struggle to see. John looked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, the moment he used that term, the Lamb of God, the people that were there understood that term. They understood that term because that was a term used for the sacrifice, uh, uh, the sacrificed Lamb. That was the term they used. When they found the Lamb that would qualify for the sacrifice, for the sin offering, then what the priests would do is the priests would take that Lamb, and they would take that Lamb, and once they had examined that Lamb, once they had found that Lamb to be the perfect Lamb, they would cry out, The Lamb of God! The Lamb of God. So they understood. The moment that declaration is there, they understood the the whole term. The Lamb of God was the Lamb that would be their sacrifice. That means the Lamb was their victory. The Lamb was their salvation. The Lamb was their deliverance. The Lamb was their redemption. Come on. So when John the Baptist comes and says, Behold everybody, look everybody, the Lamb of God. Everybody that's there understood that term. They'd never seen it referred to a man. But then he says this, he says, The Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Actually, can we get those chairs up here? If you, if you can. I've asked Ashley just to help me here very briefly. Uh, and hopefully what I can do is explain this. You see, the Lamb of the Old Testament was the Lamb that, that when that was sacrificed... Is there a third one? Can we get a third one? The Lamb that was sacrificed was the Lamb... And hopefully I can demonstrate this properly. In the Old Testament, when that Lamb came and that Lamb was sacrificed and the blood was accepted, then what would happen, it was called the atonement, right? Amen? It's a little early for you this morning. <laughs> the atonement. Now, what does atonement mean? Now, you see, even in the New Testament, I hear people talking about the atoning blood of Jesus, and it's really not. Jesus' blood was really not atoned. Atonement. Atonement just meant the covering. Now, over here, I've got three chairs. Your past sin, present sin, future sin. I, want, I do this here because I want you to see that what we're going to talk about here this morning is, is this whole issue of sin. The whole issue of sin that is an issue between God and man, or man and God. Ashley being man over there, let's just say, and me being God, that means that, that, that when the law was given, you know of course that up until the law was given, that, that sin was not imputed? Amen. What does it mean, sin was not imputed? Sin, sin was not an issue between man and God. I mean, it was an issue with man, but it, it wasn't an issue between... But the law was given, that moment the law was given, then there was an issue between man and God. Amen. And in order to get God involved in your life, you had to come and bring a sacrifice, and the atoning blood of the sacrifice would cover your sin, but it would only be for a moment. Because the very next time you commit a sin, well, the, then, you, then you bring, you've got to bring another sacrifice. Amen? Hallelujah. So this was just a, a covering for sin. It wasn't the real thing. But listen to what he says. He says, he says this. Thanks, actually. It's going to work. This scripture says that John the Baptist said, Now this lamb is the lamb that is not just going to cover sin, but he's going to take away sin. Come on now. He is going to take away the issue of sin between man and God. He's going to deal with this thing once and forever. Hallelujah. Now here's the thing I want you to see is that, that I know that most of us here will say, yeah, that's right, uh, th th that sin is not an issue between God and, and, and the believer. Now John the Baptist said this, he, Jesus is this lamb that is going to take away the sin of the world. Now, brothers and sisters, we have to make a decision here this morning. We have to. Either Jesus is the lamb of God, and he is. And either he has taken away the sin of the world, or he hasn't.
Now I know that to, <laughs> to many of us, this is like Arthur, this is, you're trading on, on, on thin ice here. You know, you gotta, listen, brothers and sisters, the reason we are so bound in our guilt and our condemnation and the reason we can't live in the victory and the freedom that Christ has set us free is because we've never come to this point where we need to make this decision. Either Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, or He is not. And if He's not, then we're in trouble. If He has, hallelujah! Okay. <laughs> hallelujah! Amen. So turn with me there, and let's go to... Uh, hallelujah, where can we go? Yeah, let's go, first of all, to John. First John, chapter 9, uh, chapter 4, and verse 9. Let me just say a couple of things here, just as we get into this. Um, and again, I can't sh- share all the verses that I've got. Sorry. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul says here. Uh, John says here. He says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Now, lem- number one, brothers and sisters, listen carefully. I want to see the whites of your eyes here. I, I be- I, the, the reason I do this is because people misunderstand and misquote me all the time. And I want you to hear carefully what I'm saying here. John says, listen, I'm writing these things to you so that you sin not. Amen. I want you to understand that I'm teaching what I'm teaching here so that you sin not. Not that you can be free to go and do whatever you want. Hello, come on now. (laughs) No, he says this. He says that you sin not. And if, now watch this. I love this. And if any man sins... He says, listen, I'm teaching you these things so that you don't live in sin, so that you live a godly life. But if you do sin, hallelujah, what? We have, (laughs) hallelujah, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So don't go away here saying that Arthur says that it's okay to sin. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is this, listen to verse 2. He says, he has... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Jesus Christ the righteous, He is the propitiation for our sin. Now listen, let me just say a couple of things about that word propitiation. The word propitiation, you know, we say the sin sacrifice. But literally, this is what it means. It means the satisfying of the perfect justice of a holy and righteous God, thereby making it possible for God to show mercy without compromising His righteousness and His justice. Amen? So what's he saying? He's saying, Jesus Christ the righteous, He is our propitiation, which means He is the satisfying of the justice of a holy God against the sin that, that, that became a disease within His man. And God came and He said, in Christ, He is the propitiation for our sins. Now you see people say, well, see, it's for our sins. But listen to what it says. He says, and not for ours only, but also for the sin of the whole world. I don't know 
I've, you know, I've, I've preached this. This is something that's just burning within my heart the last couple of months that I've, that, you know, maybe the last six months that I've been preaching. Wherever I go, I, I've been preaching a form of this teaching wherever I've gone. But listen carefully. What I'm saying is this. I know that even as I'm teaching this, it's like, that's too good to be true. That, it can't mean that. But brothers and sisters, that's exactly what it means. You know, that's exactly... Turn with me in your Bibles there to Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. Everybody say Hebrews. Hebrews. Now, how many of you understand the book of Hebrews was written to the... <laughs> I mean, that's important. You know, I mean, a lot of believers don't get this. And, and you know, maybe I overstress this to people all the time, but... I, I find that, that, that so many believers, so many Christians, read the book of Hebrews and they get all befuddled. They, all get, they don't understand what it's all about. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? There was a time when I used to read the book of Hebrews and I was like, what is this all about, you know? Well, listen, first of all, this book was written to the Hebrews. And who were the Hebrews? The Hebrews were those Jews in Jerusalem. Many of them who had believed in Christ. Many of them that were believers and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they had received Christ as the Messiah. But this is the problem. How many of you understand many of the books of the New Testament were, were written to counteract error that was coming into the church? And so the, the Hebrews in Jerusalem who had believed in Christ... Many of them were saying, because of persecution, I think there was, you know, tremendous persecution going on. And so many of them were, were almost wanting to go back to the law and the sacrifice of the Old Testament because uh, it, it would just alleviate all the persecution if they went back there. And that's exactly what Paul was saying and Andrew was saying last night. It, that Paul says, he says, if I, then, if I would preach circumcision, which, which includes everything of the law, then, he says, then there would be no offense. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to these people who are wanting to go back into legalism and law and self-righteousness, which will lead them down the path of guilt, condemnation, fear and shame, and bind them to the sins that they, that they want to be and need to be free from. Is this, is this going to fast for you? <laughs> and so he writes here, and let's go there to, to chapter 9, and uh, let's... There's no way I'm going to be able to do this all, but we'll just go to wherever we get to end, right? <laughs> okay, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Now, the Amplified Bible says it this way. He says, In fact, under the law, almost everything is purged by means of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor... Uh, the remission of the due and merited punishment for sin. Let me just you know, go back to this offering over here that we demonstrated earlier on. Here was given by God. God gave the offerings. You know why? Because if He never did that, He would have a, a nation of people who would be stock raving mad. He had to give them something that when they could to relieve their conscience. 
And not, what does he say? He says, without the shedding, he says, we understand that without the shedding of the blood of the Lamb, there was no remission of sin. There was no, you know, sin couldn't be covered. You couldn't, you couldn't stand before God as forgiven, you know, at least even if it's just one time a year. Amen. So what's he saying? He, now, he says, we understand that. But notice what he then says, verse 23. He says, by, by such means, therefore, it is necessary for the earthly copies of the heavenly things to be purged. So what is he saying? He says, this offering here is just a copy of the real thing. It's not the real thing, it's just a copy. Amen. And he says, this, this is only a copy uh, of the real thing. And then uh, verse 24 says, he says, for Christ the Messiah has not entered into a sanctuary made with human hands, only a copy and a pattern and a type of the true one. But He has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the very presence of God on our behalf. I mean, just, I, mean, just, just, I can't stop with all these verses. But, but let me just say this. What he's, this is what He says. He says that... This offering was just a copy. He says, but this Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous, He came, and He came and went into the heavenly holy of holies and stood before God, and it says there, on our behalf. Now, you know, the problem is we look at this and, and, and we, we think about a lawyer who goes with a document and he represents you. But you've got to understand, Jesus so wanted to represent you that, that He became a human being. He was born of a virgin, became a human being. And in becoming a human being, when He stood with His blood before God, He stood there as a human being, representing you as you. Oh my God! Not just representing you on a piece of paper. No, He came and fully identified with every aspect of you. And as you came and stand before God, and what He did, He did as if you did it. Oh, hallelujah. Man, when you understand that, now notice what He says. He says, nor did He enter into the heavenly sanctuary to offer himself regularly again and again, as the high priest enters the Holy of Holies every year with blood not his own. For then, watch this, for then would he often had had to suffer over and over again since the foundations of the world. Oh, come on now. now can I... <laughs> why to the foundations of the world? Here's why. This means that what Christ accomplished for us in this act of his of his sacrifice it was retroactive to the foundations of the world oh man i don't know about you this is huge you know, we think, oh, well, Jesus forgave my sin. You don't understand. When He went before God as, as a human being, he, he represented every man from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. And then He says this, But as it now is, say it with me, As it now is, turn to your neighbor, your friend, and say to them, 
This is how it is now. Come on now. I hope you can handle this. He says, listen, this is how, this is how things were in the past. This, but listen, this is now how things are. Brothers and sisters, like it or don't like it. This is how it is. How is it? Listen, let's, let's see. He says, He has once for all. Come on, I think. <laughs> he has once. Twice? No, once. When was that once? Then. When He died on that cross. He had once for all. For all what? For all people. For all time. Oh, come on. None of you now. Come on. He said to me, Arthur, that's radical. Aren't you just... Listen, brother, there it is. He has once, one time, one offering. He said, he didn't do this over and over and over and over because if he had to, he would have had to do this from the foundations of the world. He came in one time. And at one time, he did a deal that included all men for all time. Now I know, you know, this is, what's, this is what happens. People say, well, I said that, that, that means you're a universalist. No, I'm not. No, I, you know, and please understand, but the reality of it is, you have to understand the extent of the, of the work of the cross. Brother, sister, we get all nervous about this, but let me tell you something. This will set you free. And you know what? It will change the way you deal with people out there. You'll start to realize that, listen, you don't have to go and tell people how sinful they are. Number one, they know. Number two, the news that they don't know. The reason the gospel is called good news, it means it is a thing that has happened in the past. And you know, listen, you don't get the news on the newspaper of news that's going to happen in three years' time. The newspaper gives you news of what's happened. The gospel is the news, the good news of what's happened. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now watch this. He says, He has once and for all, at the consummation, at the close of the age, appeared to put away and to abolish sin by His sacrifice of Himself. Man, I don't know about you. You know, listen, this is what He's done. Jesus did not come... And just cover. You know, we talk about this, and, 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 and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I've, it's just the other day that the Lord said to me, Arthur, you can't say that. Well, you know, well, my, blood, my sins are under the blood of Jesus. You've got to understand. Huh? Your sin is not under the blood of Jesus, because if, if it's under the blood of Jesus, it means it's still there, and it's still an issue. Hallelujah. No, Jesus came. And in the sacrifice of Himself, He came as the Lamb of God. And He didn't... I wish I could, I wish I could just make this disappear. He took away your, your future sin, your, your present sin, your past sin, as an issue between you and God. It's, done, it's dealt with, guys. Brothers and sisters, this is over. Say it, say it with me. It's over. over. The 
issue of sin between God and the believer. In fact, the God and man. Now, does, does, has everybody received that? Has everybody acknowledged that? No. But the, all the gospel is, is that do you know that Christ came and in one sacrifice, once and for all, He has taken away the sin of the world. That means your sin is no longer an issue with God. Now you say to me, Arthur, but you know, I still, I still mess up, man. I still, you know, I still don't live right. I still make mistakes. Well, number one, join the club. <laughs> Amen. We all do. Now, does this mean that when Jesus did this, that, that nobody's ever going to commit a sin again? No. It just means this. That when you do, you know this. You have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Who is your propitiation? That means that when you do sin, when you do make a mistake, when you error, when you fail, when you, you have a moment. Anybody here been having moments lately? When you, when you have a moment. It's not an issue with God. Now I know that most people, oh, Arthur, you can't. It's not an issue with God, brothers. It's not going to influence. Now, as, 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 as uh, Andrew was saying, you know, sin and living in sin and making sin a lifestyle, it's going to destroy you. I mean, it's just stupid. But what I'm saying as a believer is this, is that when we do fail, when we make mistakes, when we error, when we have our moments, we have to understand this, it is not an issue with God any longer. It has no bearing on your relationship with God whatsoever. Listen to the next couple of verses. How am I doing? Hallelujah. The, the next, next couple of verses says this. Verse 27 says, And just as... Now, you know, this is a scripture that has been used and abused in, in, in Christian preaching. He says, Just as it is appointed for all men once to die, and after that, the certain judgment. See, Arthur? It's given to all men. You're going to die, and you're going to stand before God, and you're going to stand before judgment. Now, 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 listen, we read that verse earlier on. It says that this Christ came and represented you before God. And what he's saying, yeah, see, under the old covenant, every man was going to stand, you'll die and stand before God in the judgment. But there's this man, Christ, who came, who fully identified with you. In so much that He represented you before God. And when He did, He came. And He came and took your appointment of judgment. Oh, come on. Yes, it is appointed unto all men wants to die and face the judgment. But the Christ came. And in Christ, He took that appointment and stood in the judgment that you should be standing in. And He took the judgment of the whole world upon him, satisfying. Amen. Now notice the next verse. Listen to what the next verse says. The next verse says, Even so it is that Christ, having been offered to take upon himself and bear as a burden the sins of many. You know, that's an unfortunate translation right there. Because a lot of us, we read that he took the sins of many and what we say in our minds is some. But you know, the original language there, it is, 
There's a definite article in front of that word, meaning the many, meaning the all. He came and bore as the burden upon him the sin of the many, the all. Amen. Watch this now. Once and for all will appear a second time. Because you know, people say, well, you know what you're going to do? When Jesus comes, what are you going to do, brother? When you stand before Jesus, if you haven't confessed every sin, and when Jesus comes tonight, you know, what are you going to do? Here's the thing. He's going to come a second time. And the scripture is real clear. He's going to come. But notice what it says. Not to carry any burden of sin, nor to deal with sin. Amplified says, nor to deal with sin, but to bring to full salvation those who are eagerly, constantly, patiently waiting for and expecting Him. What's he? Listen, yes, Jesus is going to come, but brothers and sisters, we're going to understand this. He has dealt with this issue of sin and it's done and He ain't never going to deal with this again. Oh, come on. Have you got five? Have you got, can, I, can I take another five? Five minutes here, Gary? Just five, just five minutes. Because it's so important. You say to me, but Arthur, how does this work? Well, here's what you understand. Go to chapter 10. Go to chapter 10. Chapter 10 says... For since the law has merely a rude outline, a foreshadowing of the good things to come, instead of fully, ex fully expressing those things, it can never by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year, make perfect those who approach His altar. So he's saying, listen, under this Old Testament covenant, this, he says there was no way, there was no sacrifice, there was nothing that could make man perfect. This word perfect is a word that has been misused and, and misinterpreted and understood. But basically all it means is this, is that it talks about completeness. It talks about me made completely and perfectly innocent. He says, this, this sacrifice could not make a man innocent before God. But notice, he then says, if it was so, verse 2, he says, for if it were otherwise, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? He says, if there was a sacrifice that could take away sin and make you before God, innocent before God, then he says, listen, then, then these sacrifices would have stopped. Why? What's the reason? Listen to what he says. He says, since the worshippers had once for all been cleansed, they would no longer have any guilt or consciousness of sin. Okay, now I don't have time to go and, go and show you and prove you have the scripture, but you go and read chapter 10 and go read it from this perspective. He's setting a premise for what he's going to say, and he takes 10 verses to prove to these Hebrews that there is a sacrifice that has made them perfectly, completely innocent before God. As in their spirit man, they are innocent before God. And he says, and in Christ Jesus, this one, he has perfected. Come on now. So what, so now listen, if this premise stays true, then according to verse 2, if you and I, Brother and sister, if we have and believe in the finished work of Jesus, if we believe in the cross, if we believe in the blood of Jesus, if we believe in the sacrifice, then this means you have been made perfectly, completely innocent before God. And if that is true, there should be no consciousness of sin and no guilt in your life. Come on, man. 
Come on. Now, I, I don't know if you know how huge that statement is. I mean, do you understand? No consciousness of sin. Doesn't mean, it's like I wrote in my notes, the first time I preached this message, I said, the last thing that should be on our minds is our sin. And as I wrote it, the Holy Spirit said to me, uh-uh, it shouldn't even be the last thing. It shouldn't even be the last thing. It should sin. That means when you think about your relationship with God, your sin should never, ever even be a conscious thought. Oh, Arthur, this is going to set people free so they can live in sin and do whatever they want. No, this will set you free to live in the freedom. See, listen, let me tell you something. We can understand, freedom is not freedom unless you're free to do whatever you want. Both this way and that way. See, God, if God only set you free to go His way, then you're not free. God had to set you free. And you can go the other way if you want to, but you're stupid. But the only way we can is to choose. Get to that place. I am free. And He made us free. No obligation whatsoever. And He set you free. And He says, now in this freedom, wherewith Christ has set you free. Now stand there. Let this be the place where we stand. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. We in the church, we are a far cry from actually believing that. Come on now. And this is what that, the next couple of verses says this. It says, the Holy Spirit now also witnesses with these things. That God said, now listen carefully. God said, their sin and their law breaking, I will remember no more. Oh, okay, so here, here, this is what he's saying. He's saying, sin should never even enter your mind. Why? Because it never enters God's mind. You know, if you don't confess your sin... Listen, God says, your sin, your law-breaking, He will remember no more. So when you come say, oh God, I've been just so bad, oh God, you're trying to get God to remember something He said He won't? Now I know that I've messed with most of your theology right there. Amen. Hallelujah. But this is the freedom we're with Christ. If you want to know more, get the, get the, the class. <laughs> or come to Bible school. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Amen. I hope that's helped you today. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Thanks, Arthur. That's great. Thank you, Jesus. I tell you what, that's what the Word says. I don't know how anybody argues with that. It's awesome. Some of you may uh, be going tilt after that and wondering about it, but you know, that's exactly what the Word says. We've had uh, some people that have listened to Arthur that have claimed that he preaches universalism, which if you don't know what that is, you don't need to know. But... I've called Arthur and talked to him. I've ministered with Arthur all around the world. And, you know, this is exactly the same thing I preach. It's what the Word says. There is not a single thing wrong with what he said. It's all right. That's awesome. 
Amen. And it's only people that have had a religious foundation that this rocks. But if you, if it wasn't for our traditions, this ought to be basic Christianity. This is foundational baby stuff. Baby stuff. And I tell you, most of us labor with condemnation that God never intended. And it's because we have been taught that God only partially forgave our sins. And every time you sin, you got to go get that sin under the blood. And it keeps you in a sin consciousness. And that is an ungodly concept. Amen. So I think that's awesome, Arthur. Awesome, Arthur. Praise the Lord. Say again. Yes, Arthur will be a speaker with me at the men's advance whenever that is. That's going to be next January or February or sometime then. We'll be advertising. But Arthur's a super blessing. Both the students love him. He's a, he's a great, great blessing. So appreciate that. You know, it's hard sometimes when you've been trained one way to turn and go the other way. I know. I've, been, I've done that. Arthur did it. Arthur was a legalist based on the testimony that I've heard, and he was preaching all the things he's now preaching against. And you know what? It's hard sometimes to change, but the truth will set you free. If you continue in the Word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that's just awesome. Appreciate you, Arthur. That's great. I didn't mention Kathy, but this is his wife right here. They are a real blessing. Kathy, stand up and let everybody see Kathy Munchay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 